This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Tech Transform, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. This morning, Mark is not joining us, but I am okay with that because today we're talking to Sandy Carter, and I'm kind of excited to have her all to myself, and, and you're going to understand why as I read a little bit of her bio here. So Sandy is a re- renowned technologist best-selling author and current senior VP at Unstoppable Domains. She is one of the leading pioneers in the digital business and also a former Fortune 25 business executive and leader focused on helping companies with innovative and digital transformation through culture and technology like AI and Internet of Things. Welcome to Tech Transform, Sandy. Thank you so much, Caroline. It's my honor to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the weather is spectacular. The sun is shining, the sky is blue, and we've got so many great things happening. Ah, that's excellent. Well, I'm in Utah, so we're in the same time zone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. You have an incredible background. Um, You've been with IBM recently with Amazon Web Services and now you're working with Unstoppable Domains. And I would love for you to just tell us your story. Like, what, what is the journey that you've had with your career? And how did you get to Unstoppable Domains? And, and what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, it's really interesting. You'll notice in all of my companies, IBM, and then you missed a startup. I had a startup in between, and then AWS, and then now a startup with Unstoppable. Um, all of those companies were on the leading or bleeding edge of a technology. So at the time I was at um, IBM, we were bleeding edge for social media and business, which was that web two error. I then went to form my own company and I was doing artificial intelligence. In fact, I thought it was so cool. I was doing like a Myers-Briggs on companies to determine their culture so that we could match them with the right innovation tactic. Um, so that they didn't go and try something that didn't fit their culture. Cause you know, strategy eats culture. I mean, culture eats strategy for lunch, <laughs> vice mm-hmm. versa, culture mm-hmm. eats strategy for lunch. Um, and then I moved on to Amazon and Amazon was all about the cloud, another tech transformation that was going on. And I learned so much um, from each of these companies, you know, leadership principles from Amazon, um, you know, how to develop the right processes and mechanisms from IBM. And for my startup, how to be really scrappy and to, you know, do things that 80-20 rule, not perfect, but, you know, good, good for the customer, valuable for the customer, but not necessarily reaching that perfection mark. And so, um, When Web3 started up, I was really interested in it. I had done some blockchain and Amazon Web Services, and I was fascinated with the new technology. So I started doing, Carolyn, all of these side projects on NFTs, setting up my wallet, doing all this stuff on the side. Well, it turned out that uh, a company approached me called Unstoppable Domains, and I was fascinated by what they were doing in the marketplace, focused on digital identity how in the Web3 world, you take your identity with you. It's not linked. 
uh, with a particular application. And I thought that was fascinating given my history and looking at Web3. And I was like, why would I keep doing these side projects when I could do this full time? And so I came on with Unstoppable. Uh, the founding team is great. The, the portfolio of products is really fascinating to me. And the partners are all, you know, the who's who of Web3. So here I am and I'm having a blast. Okay. So you talked about several things that are a little baffling to me. Um, first of all, Web3, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I really hadn't heard that term until I knew that you were a guest and I started looking at some stuff that you've talked about. And I was like, okay, what is this? So I read some articles over the weekend and I'm still not sure exactly what it is. It's decentralization and centralization and then decent help, help me please. Yeah. So I would define web three in one word, and that would be a ownership model. Um, and when I say an ownership model, if you think about, um, let's take Uber, for example. Um, Uber, you know, I was an early user of Uber. Mm-hmm. I told all my friends about it because I was living in Silicon Valley and I was Ubering all over when Uber was just in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. So I was attracting new users and I got value because my friends thought I gave them something of value. But now Uber is worth about $50 billion. I didn't get any of that financial benefit. I was providing and attracting users for Uber, Mm -hmm. but the extraction of value came from Uber itself. And Web3 turns that on its head. You are now not a user of the of the uh, application, you are a member, you have ownership rights in what you're doing. And so Web3 really introduces that real ownership model to the internet that combines economics and art and game theory and technology in in a very interesting way. So as you look at Web3, essentially Web3 means that something is built on what I would call five essential elements. One, it's decentralized. So you said decentralization or at least partially decentralized, meaning there's no one company who owns all the servers, all the the infrastructure. It is decentralized or at least partially decentralized. Mm. Two, there has to be a digital identity that travels with you. So Carolyn, think about today. You go to sign into LinkedIn, you use one ID. Then you go over to Instagram, you're using a different ID. You go into TikTok, you're using a different ID. But I can now take my digital identity, which I've built with unstoppable domains, sandy.crypto. I can take that identity and I can enter a metaverse with that same identity, I can enter um, DeFi, decentralized finance with Cook Financial. With that same identity, I can enter a game like uh, Decentraland or Sandbox. So that same identity travels with me. It's all built on the blockchain. So that's the third assumption for Web3, decentralized digital identity built on the blockchain. It's trustless, meaning that there is no in-between. I sign a smart contract directly with the person I am purchasing. There's not a bank or a lawyer or anything in between. And it financially benefits the members. Because remember, we have members now, right? So if I buy an NFT, like a, let's say a lazy lion, 
Um, I now own that lazy lion and I now can create a t-shirt with that lazy lion. And that t-shirt could enable me, for example, to create my own business. So it's really all about um, that ownership model. Did that help? Yeah. So this reminds me of something that I worked on like years ago. I, I worked for Novell. I'm sure that that you know who that company is, even though it really doesn't exist anymore. Um, and we worked on, I was working with developers on a digital identity or a digital wallet. And it kind of didn't go anywhere. Like it was the hot topic and it was innovative and cutting edge. And it sounds like maybe is it blockchain that's enabled it to actually be secure and and be something now? So blockchain is one of the underpinning technology and blockchain does allow that transparency and that interoperability and does help with that ownership too. Makes Mm -hmm. it immutable. It can't be changed for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is an element in in Web3, just like we talked about those five elements, right? It's got to be decentralized or at least partially decentralized. You have a transportable digital identity. It's built on blockchain. It's trustless and it financially benefits users. So blockchain is definitely a part of the equation. Okay. So if we were in a Web3 world and Uber's just coming online, like it did, you know, when you were an evangelist for Uber, you evangelizing Uber to your friends would give you shares, like you would have some kind of ownership in Uber and you would reap the benefits of this $50 billion company? I could. Yeah, absolutely. So there is this concept of fractional ownership um, and fractional ownership means that, you know, whether it is a, um, a piece of art or a company or a piece of real estate, you can have a fractionalized ownership of that. So for example, Um, NFTs allow for that fractional ownership of any digital native asset. So people can own a portion of something that otherwise they might not have been able to afford. And it extends, you know, beyond art, like a lazy lion or a bored ape. It It extends beyond that. And then, of course, the use of NFTs and blockchain enable you to prove ownership. And you do that today, right? I have a friend of mine who collects Chanel purses. Um, and of course, if you're going to spend that much money on a purse, you want it verified. Or my mom, uh, my mom used to be a Boston Red Sox fan. I guess she still is a Boston Red Sox fan. And she collects Ted Williams, who was an, I don't even know who he is, but he's an old time baseball player. <laughs> but um, she owns, you know, that, that baseball card and she has them authenticated, verified that it's real. And it's the same kind of thing that happens in Web3 with that verification. So does the creator of the asset, the company, whatever it is, have to say, yes, I want to buy into this Web3 idea and have this fractionalized ownership. Yes. So, you know, if you're a company like Parcel, Parcel is doing um, Web3 real estate, or, you know, if you look at some NFTs, not all NFTs that are art are fractional ownership. But some of them I I buy and it's outright mine. I own it. I can do whatever I want to with it. Some I buy into it and the artist gets a fractional piece of that forever. So Mm. if I go and produce a t-shirt and I sell the t-shirt for $10, 
then maybe the artist gets a dollar and I get $9 for, you know, in perpetuity because I'm, because I'm now a part owner and they're, you know, the creator of it. This is why a lot of people in music love it because a lot of them today, you know, when they sign on agents and all these companies, the amount they end up getting is so small. In fact, this weekend, I was listening to an artist and they said, look, you know, based on the digitization of music today, after everybody takes their cut, my cut is pennies. So I have to do t-shirts. I have to do concerts. Yeah. I have to do ads because I don't make enough money on that, on my music, which I really should be making the money on. So when will we be in this web three world or are we already dipping our toes? We're at the very, very, very early stages. So, you know, I would say, um, you know, we are super early. The tech right now can be um, very expensive. Like think about the gas fees that you have to pay sometimes. A gas fee, it's not like gas for your car. Gas fee that you're paying is for the permission to use those decentralized servers. In a centralized world, a company's paying for that. They're going to get the benefit of that too, right? They're going to get the financial benefit of it. In this new Web3 world, which is decentralized, that gas fee is what you're paying to use a part of that decentralized network. And that can be expensive today, and it may not be completely ready. So if you think about it, blockchain, there's thousands of articles. Is blockchain scalable yet? Not quite yet, but it will be. So I would say, Caroline, that we're in the dial-up phase of Web3. What's that movie? Um, there's a movie, you know, and you can hear the AOL sound of the modem. Oh, you've got mail. You've got mail. That's right. <laughs> yes. So that um, that so think about that sound right now. Yeah. When you think about Web three, we're in that early stage of it. Or as uh, someone said this weekend at Eat the Denver, they said, you know, we're baking a pie and the pie's in the oven, and you don't want to take the pie out too early because you can't really consume it, right? It's it's not done. Yeah, but yeah. That early, early stage of Web3. And that's why I wanted to jump in early. I like that early stage. I like that chaotic creation um, for a couple of reasons. I just love the tech. I, I, I just consume and dive into the tech. But also, uh, Caroline, because I believe that at the start of this new era of Web3, I want the new era to be diverse mm. because I believe that's what's going to make it more innovative. And if we look at the past web one, web two, it has not been a diverse group of people shaping the future of it. Meaning there's like a few big companies that own all the servers and the services. And maybe, maybe a lot of men that shape the com- the company, maybe white men that shape it, not, mm-hmm. not a diverse group of people who are inputting all of their ideas. Right. And I think that diversity, diversity of thought of any kind is important, right? Having people from multiple countries. I mean, just look at mm-hmm. web three, it's being created in Africa. Um, I was just on the phone this morning with an African company that's just doing phenomenal things and they're going to impact what we're doing here. Um, I mean, women are getting involved, not at a fast enough rate, but we're going to try to fix that. Um, You know, I was just speaking with Eman who started Ancient Warriors NFT collection. He focuses on black and brown artists. So now we've got everybody coming in early into the pot and I feel like it's going to be I feel like that that pot being mixed up and stirred by so many diversity ideas, diversity of thought ideas is only going to make it more innovative and more powerful. 
as you're talking, I'm thinking about baking a cake and thinking if you only put flour in the cake, you don't have a cake. And that's the same with these innovations. Without the diversity, you just don't get, you don't get the cake. Yep. So I I love that. Um, I want to ask before we end about the metaverse. We we got some advertisements, some creepy ones, kind of, to be honest, with the Super Bowl around the metaverse. When I think of the metaverse, I think about things like Ready Player One, where I'm an avatar, or even, oh, there was a movie with Bruce Willis. I think it's called Surrogate, where like they themselves, have you seen that? Mm-hmm, I have, yep. Yeah. So they they physically never leave their house. They have a replica of them that they control from a console. So, so these are the kind of things I think about with metaverse. And then last week I was sick. And by the end of the week, I wasn't sick enough not to take a meeting, but I was still sick enough that I looked like I'd been chewed on by wolves. And so I didn't want to get on video, but I thought, you know, what would be super awesome is if I could do a metaverse meeting and I could go like with the perfect outfit and the perfect hair <laughs> and, and show up as my perfect self. So, so these are the things that spin around in my head with metaverse. And I would love to hear actually what the metaverse really is from you. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's simply an online digital environment and you are inhabiting that new land as an avatar. Um, you access it through virtual reality or on augmented reality. A lot of gamers are already doing this today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about if you think about the metaverse, but you know, I like to think about the metaverse in terms of layers. Maybe it's from my tech background. So I see um, Web three that decentralized access, that ownership model being kind of the base or the foundation of a metaverse. Mm. Um, That is then dependent on the blockchain for trust, for that secure value exchange, which I then think will be governed by DAOs. We haven't talked about DAOs yet, but DAOs are kind of, again, another voting experience done with tokens kind of a dynamic governance model of which the metaverse sets. So the metaverse is really that digital experience in the worlds, but it requires, I think, a DAO structure, blockchain for trust, and Web3. So the interesting thing is when we talk about the metaverse and we talk about Web3, I think we're kind of talking about the same direction because the metaverse requires Web3 to really deliver on its its promises in the marketplace today. So is Unstoppable Domains building that foundation then for the metaverse with Web3? Yeah. So Unstoppable Domains is building your digital identity, Mm -hmm. which is represented as your domain. So think about it's a domain with superpowers, unlike the domain of a a Web2 world. Um, And when I say, you know, superpowers, I mean, it's user-owned and controlled, so there's no renewal fees. You own it. It's back to that ownership. It's decentralized because it's created on that blockchain. So any third party can read it and resolve that name without anybody's permission, not even ours. Um, and others can build tools and applications on it like metaverses. 
um, as they move forward. So for example, uh, the Atlantis metaverse is built on top of our digital identity. Uh, Cook Finance, that's DeFi, is built on top of it. Parcel, which is doing real estate in the 3D world, is built on top of it. And what that enables you to do is it enables you then to travel with that digital identity. Um, And for me, that's really cool because uh, if you think about your digital identity that that travels with you, right? It travels with you to any application. Um, It's your wallet. It's your healthcare data. um, Mm -hmm. It's your education records. It's your finance. It's basically you know, you, it's, it's you. Right. And so it sounds scary. Like if somebody hacked that, then they have access to me. But think about how many people hack you today. Right. Uh, I mean, it already (laughs) happens today. It already happens today, but imagine, so let's think about the hack is one thing, right. But today, Caroline, people are selling your information to companies so that they can market to you, right? Mm-hmm. So people sell, oh, Carolyn just bought a house. I'm going to mm-hmm. sell that data to someone so that they can market to her differently because she just bought a house. Um, Carolyn, you know, just graduated from college. Because I know that, I'm going to market to you differently. Today, that information, it's not even considered a hack today, right? Right. It's considered their right to share that information. It's not considered your right to that information, it's their right to that information. It's, ho- it's the whole reason why Europe set up GDPR to protect mm-hmm. people's privacy. So if you think about it in the future, digital identity is going to be much more important than it is today. It will be used in all sorts of apps that we can't even imagine today. And I believe that it's extremely important that that ownership and those rights sit in the hand of you, not in the hands of a government or a corporation. I think that would be more scary as if another person had all of my information. Now, in order to achieve this vision, I think there's got to be a lot of things that happen, right? We've got to have a way to protect it. You, you pointed out right away, right? You need to have that be secure. Um, and we've got to find out, we've got to make it easier. If I had to say, there's lots of things right now that we need to work on in the, in the Web3 world, but one of those is ease of use and UI. I consider myself pretty techy mm-hmm. and it's hard for me. I could not imagine like my parents trying it right now. It's too hard. And so I do believe if you are a designer sitting out there or you do UX, I think it's going to become more and more important due to the rate of adoption that we get that ease of use correct. And we do it very, uh, very fast because today it's too hard. I think that if, if digital identity is going to be what it is, we have to make it easier for everybody to participate in it. Mm. What, what does this mean? And this is last question. What does Web3 and everything we've been talking about mean for government? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, governments are reacting in different ways to this, right? I mean, if you think about it, some governments like El Salvador, they've gone all in. Um, they, they now use Bitcoin and crypto to -hmm. walk into a McDonald's, you know, have to, you pay with crypto and Bitcoin. You you don't pay with, with money. They won't accept money at all. Um, I don't know if they'll accept money at all. I don't know that, but I know the majority of what they do is through Bitcoin and, and, um, 
and crypto. That's a good point. I need to probably find out about that. So the so and then you hear. I don't know if you heard. You know, the city of Miami wanted to be wanted to be declared the first crypto city in the U.S. Um, and then we had at ETH Denver the governor of Colorado saying we want to be like the first state. And so you can you hear this all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Countries and cities and states wanting to be known for this. But I do believe there there are some challenges for governments today. They need to catch up a little bit. I think it would be great for them to establish a vision to foster this decentralized digital infrastructure. I didn't say manage or regulate. I said to foster mm-hmm. this digital uh, infrastructure and to embrace this multi-shareholder approach to how you govern and how you do regulations through um, tokens or this fractionalized ownership. Um, I do think there needs to be some sort of targeted risk calibrated oversight for different Web3 activities, because you know there are, in any new space, there are going to be people who misuse the technology. And mm-hmm. so you need to make sure that you're thinking through that. And um, I also think that Web3 could further sustainability goals based on how they think about this, right? Using something decentralized versus centralized could help with sustainability. So there is a whole set of things that governments need to think about. Um, When I worked for Amazon Web Services, I had the pleasure and the honor of working with many public sector um, companies, organizations, groups. And I do think that this would be a great time for those agencies and groups to really jump in and see how they could impact this in a positive way. Again, not not strictly regulating it, but jumping in in a very uh, positive way as well. The vision that you've painted for me makes me feel like embracing this is going to be right in line with the latest executive order around the user experience. If we Once we get to that digital ID that you're talking about, the user experience is going to be more secure, I mean, streamlined, just a lot easier in general. So, yeah, I think so. And, and um, I, again, I think it's going to take everybody playing together and probably, you know, um, one of my big items is I want to make sure that we are, uh, you know, focused on education first and foremost, Caroline, because a lot of the questions you ask, I get asked those all the time. Um, in fact, on my LinkedIn, I'm going to post like a new word a day for people just to try to grasp and understand. So my word yesterday was POOP, which is very popular in the Web3 world, which is just simply a proof of attendance, right? So people mm-hmm. could get a POOP, an NFT, for attending your, your um, podcast, for example. Um, and it's as an NFT, a non-fungible token that you collect. So there are there's so much to learn here, but I think if we can break it down and make it easy and digestible, for me, that's really the big next step that we need. We need and we need to make it accessible for everybody. Web3 needs to be for all. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Sandy. This has been very educational for me. I will be following you for those words of the day and we'll share with our listeners. So thank you for um, spending some time with us today and helping us understand what this is all about. 
You are welcome. And if your listeners really want to dive into it or what we call going down the rabbit hole, which is a phrase we use in Web3, um, I would say there's really three steps to get started. One would be you know, to go out there and, and read, really deep dive on, you know, a lot of the material that's out there. Um, secondly, would be then to choose your trusted sources of information because there's so much out there and um, interact with them, you know, jump on Discord, jump on Telegram and interact with those trusted sources, ask some questions. Most people I know in Web3 are more than happy to answer questions because they really want to onboard everyone. Mm-hmm. But then the final step, Carolyn, that I would say that everybody should do is to play with it. So I would recommend, you know, going out there and uh, buying an unstoppable domain. It's kind of that first step. You mm-hmm. have to then link that to a wallet. And so it enables you to maybe buy a little crypto, put it in your wallet, connect it to your domain and see the start of the power. I don't think that Web3 is something that you can just be book smart on. I think you actually have to play with it. Um, And if there's any businesses listening today, there are also some use cases from a business perspective, not just a consumer, like buying a domain and linking it to your wallet. There are some use cases for businesses as well that they can start to dip their toe in this as well. I love that. So I'm going to add a fourth one, and that is listeners go follow Sandy. So, (laughs) I mean, that sounds like the like a really easy first step. So thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners for joining today. Please share and like this podcast. And we will talk to you next time on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.